Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Discovery Debrief, a podcast that dives headfirst into the proverbial deep end of the latest trek into the final frontier, Star Trek Discovery. I'm co-host Chris Clow, and I'm joined by our bold panel of Star Trek franchise explorers, including Rachel Clow. Hello. Zaki Hassan. Hi. And Cicero Holmes. Don't kill Mock, damn it. <laughs> oh, was it Mock? You mean, yeah. you mean Nog? 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 Yeah, Nog. You Nog. Yeah. Well, yeah, inside joke. Uh, well, not that inside, but inside enough, because that is actually going to be the topic of our discussion today. So last time we all got together, it was to say goodbye to season two of Star Trek Discovery, and we're not going to be seeing that show again for a while it's going to be in a radically different status quo. We're not done talking about Discovery Season 2, uh, but we're tabling it for now because we all just saw a movie last night that uh, kind of revives in our minds uh, conversations surrounding what could arguably be referred to as the greatest Star Trek series, uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine. So we all went to the Fathom Events screening in our respective locations for what we left behind. Looking back at Star Trek Deep Space Nine, directed by Iris Stephen Bear and I think David Zappone, and, and partially too by Adam Nimoy. And uh, we're going to talk about it for you guys. But um, before we get into that, as usual, let's check in with our panelists to see what everybody's been up to since the last time we got together. Cicero, what about you, man? Start us off. Uh, it's, you know what? So what we left behind made me both feel joy and shame and hope, joy, shame and hope. So, uh, the joy was the celebration of deep space nine. The shame was that I did not begin already my, uh, broadcast order or broadcast reverse order rewatch of star Mm -hmm. Trek, which, uh, which right now stands at deep space nine. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, the hope is that I will get to it soon. Okay. Very good. And, uh, what else you been up to b- besides the absorption of the film? Um, uh, so, you know, still, I saw Endgame for the third time, this time in IMAX. Ooh. Um, and, uh, yeah, if you have not seen it in IMAX, that is not only is IMAX mostly always the definitive way to see a film, but this film was filmed in IMAX and it looks spectacular and that's really not hyperbole. Um, it, it, it really immediately, you could tell that this film was made for IMAX. So, um, if you've only seen it once. Uh, do yourself a favor and go see it in IMAX. In fact, if you have not seen it in IMAX, just go see it in IMAX. Um, they need they need your help. You know, this, this movie's not doing well. <laughs> this, so. this fledgling film, right? Um, this tiny uh, indie. Yes. <laughs> so the, the the other thing that I am uh, up to right now is I am on the cusp of going uh, traveling off to Los Angeles to participate in uh, Wizards of the Coast. D&D Live, The Descent, D&D Live uh, 2019, The Descent. It is a weekend-long celebration of all things Dungeons & Dragons, and uh, they have uh, brought in a few of the, uh, uh, let's see, I guess, what what do we call live action? Uh, Well, we're not LARPers. It's like uh, tabletop tabletop, uh, streamers and... and, uh, Mm-hmm. Game players of uh, Dungeons and Dragons, 
um, across their across their landscape. And um, my group, my ensemble, the Rivals of Waterdeep, will be there and uh, will be performing on Saturday. So uh, yeah, stay tuned. Check out uh, Rivals at Rivals Waterdeep on Twitter, and you can uh, find out the where's and the when's. And if you're in the Los Angeles area and happen to uh, be at uh, D&D Live, please let me know so we can take some pictures and exchange hugs and stuff. Very cool. Good to know. Rachel, what have you been up to? Oh, I have been deeply confused and saddened by Game of Thrones. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I've just, I've been disappointed in the current season, which I don't know why, because I knew it was going to be disappointing, but, and there's no way that they could really end it in a satisfactory way, because there's just so much going on, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, Weiss and Benioff are not George R. R. Martin. Right. Mm. Um, but weren't they acting off of his marching orders? Like in guiding I mean, the show? Supposedly, yes. Like they are he, he they are acting off of bullet points. Yes. Um, okay. the ways in which they and so I can kind of see where the bullet points are. Mm-hmm. Um, but the ways in which they're sort of getting to those bullet points don't really make a ton of sense to me. The pacing is really fast and it's just you know, not really satisfying in any way, especially because I don't think we're ever going to really see George R. R. Martin's ending. Right. Yeah. He's going to be dead before. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't, yeah, it's just, it's sad all around. I think. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. It's- well, I, I think that if we did wind up seeing uh, George's vision of the end of his series, that would also be sad. Yeah, and and and, and somewhat and somewhat probably somewhat uh, less than satisfying for your own hopes and desires for how things should end. Yeah, I mean, I don't have a lot of like plot points that I am super like I, I hold super dear, and I really want them to right. be you know sure. covered. Like, um, so in that respect. That's that's not something that bothers me. Um, it's just it's sort of the certainly the execution on the show has not been satisfactory for me. Yeah, why are there only six episodes this season? I mean, that's really what it boils down to. Uh, yeah, yeah, kind of. Well, well, I've never really been a fan of the show, so I can't really say I feel your pain. Yeah, but I, I got this, this guy over here. He's like <laughs> those um, two Muppets that like just talk <laughs> shit during the sad the sad Yeah, it just so like, well, why is he doing that? Like, <laughs> that's Chris during Game of Thrones. Why are all those horse guys running off into the darkness? Yeah, well. You're not going to die. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty much correct. That's well, that's a conversation for another time, I think. Uh, Zachy, what have you been up to, man? Well, just mere moments before logging on to talk to you, I watched uh, All Good Things, uh, continuing my uh, chronological oh. Trek rewatch. It uh it it had been a bit. It had been a minute, but uh, after after Discovery's finale, my oldest was like, "Hey, can we can we get back to Next Generation and finish it?" So I was like, 
Absolutely. So uh, I, I truthfully, I haven't watched that episode since it first aired 25 years ago. Oh, wow. So, so you got to see it in high definition for the first time then. First time in high definition. First, I mean, and, and it is almost exactly 25 years since it aired. So it's, wow. it's you know, and the plot of the episode is is Picard leaping, you know, 25 years ahead. <laughs> and so that, that's something sort of... Uh, it's weird. It's weird to now be here 25 years later. And, you know, I was a freshman in high school. It was the end of my freshman year. And then here I am now uh, with, you know, watching it with three boys who are just as into Star Trek. I mean, what a what a crazy, uh, what a crazy world, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. <laughs> when, uh, when Rachel was going through TNG entirely for the first time, because she had seen it, I think she had seen the series finale before, but when you watched it with, you didn't remember much of it. And I remember when we were sitting on the couch at your parents' house. I had house. seen it in a way that my dad had watched it and I was in the room. Okay. Right. Uh, there you go. But I, I remember sitting on the on your parents' couch and I, I told you what the last word was spoken in the episode. And you didn't really know what to make of it. And then as soon as he said it, your eyes just welled up with tears. <laughs> I will never forget that. It was just, uh, but I mean, there there are a few episodes in existence that can affect me on such an emotional level as all good things. You know, hmm. it's yeah. it's certainly one of my my favorite TV episodes ever, and it might even be my favorite finale ever for any show that I've watched. Talk about satisfying at, at the, things, the satisfying. At, at the at the risk of of uh, tipping uh, our hand for this episode, I think uh, uh, Deep Space Nine uh, edges out all good things for me as far as being an emotional Star Trek finale. A, a very reasonable uh, perspective to have, and um, I'm. It's also one that I might share if. I mean, I mean, I. Well, we'll we'll get into it, but. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, yeah, it, it's a very, very good finale episode. I mean, considering how they were kind of ratcheting it up until the very end of, of Deep Space Nine's run is still a, a phenomenal show. But let's jump into that. So we are going to discuss what we left behind looking back at Star Trek Deep Space Nine. <laughs> So I think we want to start just with general impressions of what the movie was and uh, and how it might have informed or reinformed our perspective about Deep Space Nine at large. Cicero, what was your experience like watching this from beginning to end, and uh, what were some standout moments in it for you? Um, as as I had said to you uh, yesterday, it it, it was. In my eyes, it was better than it had any right to be. And, you know, I think there's a there's a thing about documentaries, especially documentaries on subject matters that you that you really enjoy. If they're done even with a modicum of respect, they 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 really can hit hit the right spot for you. I thought they did a great job with this one. Um, some of the standout moments to me was was watching them uh, kind of, uh, you know, listening to Ira kind of be our guide through where they were at the time and the difficulties they had with, um, you know, a a brown lead um, and, and how many brown people they had on, on, on the show at any given moment 
which I I didn't even consciously think of and and realize until I saw the the uh, the doc. Um, and then also, um, the, I think the moment that stood out the most to me was when they were they were taking a moment and going through these checklists, and they were kind of just patting themselves on on the back um, on social justice issues and what have you. Um, and they they they're in the control room and they're like, uh, yeah, you know, women leads, yes. Um, you know, people of color, yes. You know, the, you know, whatever the social commentaries were that they, you know, social commentaries, homelessness. We did all of those things, and then, and then, uh, same-sex relationships. Uh, they checked it, and then they stopped themselves, and really kind of uh, talked about how they did things. They were progressive for the time, but they didn't do enough, and they should have done enough. And they talked about very specific moments. Um, you know, uh, particularly Garrick being being a gay Cardassian who 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 definitely had a crush on Bashir mm-hmm. and how they didn't explore those things and, and um, how they should have. And, and uh, like those moments uh, the, you know, the fact that the show was as socially conscious as it was uh, and, and as bold as it was even for the time they realized they could have been even more bold. And, and I appreciated that. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Zachy, what about you? What did you think of the movie overall and what were some standout moments for you? It it felt like a validation, um, you know. It I, 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 what I felt, uh, every, every, you know, when 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 Deep Space Nine went off the air, even though it was like the top rated syndicated show uh, at the time, it was still it was like the the it was just not the Star Trek that people talked about, you know. So so what the documentary alludes to is very real. Like it's just it's kind of it's part of the mix. So it's always, it's always important because it's in the conversation, but that's not the Star Trek people think of. That's not the one people talk about. So, you know, uh, I've, I've said this and and my, I always give my brother a hard time because for, for 20 years, I've been literally now for 20 years, I've been like deep space nine. That's the one, that's the one you got to watch. And he like has just now he started watching it because I, so 20 years later, you know, and I've, I I remember telling him back in 99, 2000, this is going to be the one it's going to take a while. People are going to discover it, you know? So it's been gratifying. And I'm not like sitting here like, oh, I'm the only one who noticed this because obviously a lot of people did. And that's kind of my point is it was gratifying to be in a crowd. And it was a packed theater, by the way. Yeah. And it it was a crowd of not just Star Trek fans, but Deep Space Nine fans. Mm -hmm. And that was exhilarating to me because it's like a cult within a cult. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you, know? you know that you're dedicated if you turn up for the deep space nine documentary. Exactly. You know, and they were like laughing at the inside jokes. They're like, Oh, that's, you know, uh, that's Nog. And the, you know, and like they're getting it, you know? And so that was great. And so I, I kind of, I appreciate the fact that Ira Bear took on this task to give, give a, you know, a victory lap to the work that his crew and his cast accomplished. But I'm also like, it tells you something that he had to crowdfund this documentary because, because CBS uh, couldn't be bothered to do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I'm like, if that ain't a perfect metaphor for where deep space (laughs) nine sits in the firmament, I don't know what is, but by that same token, I think, you know, uh, uh, I think it makes it more precious. You know, it's, it's uh, deep space nine is like the indie punk star Trek band. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And, you know, we kind of love that they, they didn't sign on to a mainstream label. They're just kind of, they're doing, they were doing their thing, you know, <laughs> yeah. and people discovered on their own. I mean, I love it, you know? Very true. Yeah. And very well said, Rachel, you and I both came to deep space nine embarrassingly late. I've, I've talked <laughs> about that before. I'm not embarrassed. Well, okay. <laughs> I, know, but... I, I started watching it right after TNG. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Like well, a real fan. So, I, I, well, in 2008, that just reinforces my own embarrassment, to be honest, though. <laughs> so, but either way, you have called Deep Space Nine your favorite of the shows. I mean, well, sometimes TNG edges it out in your mind, but deep, you love Deep Space Nine. Yeah, I mean, TNG has this like campiness to it that I appreciate. Mm-hmm. Um, deep Space Nine, for me, is more of a modern show. Right. I mean, like, they certainly lean on that. In the- it, like, it like is in there with like, uh, X Files and stuff would as, as like you know a a show that I I would consider like a one of my, my one of my guys <laughs> of shows yeah um and like I don't know what I don't know what TNG is but it I I love TNG but it is more of like that's a more of a campy show but DS Nine's in your top. Here. Yeah, like I think DS9 has more like meaningful stuff in it. So um, what was the experience like for you in watching this and what stood out to you during the documentary? Um I uh, I enjoyed myself. I was really excited at how crowded our theater was and Yeah, ours was packed too. They had moved it from a smaller theater to a bigger theater. Oh wow. Um, yeah. Yeah, they they switched it with a showing of Endgame, I noticed. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, that's saying something right uh, yeah right monday night <laughs> well yeah. still though i mean yeah. hell monday night you know that that's it, it's even it's even more apparent that people are willing to turn out for deep space nine on a monday night yeah so i, I was like i didn't know that there were this many other people who like deep space nine <laughs> that's really cool um and yeah i i appreciated it the documentary a lot um, it made me realize how far ahead of its time it was. I, I watched Deep Space Nine in 2013 and there were oh, things wow. in there that like, for example, Nog having PTSD and mm-hmm. having a limb amputated and then having PTSD. To me, I was just like, oh yeah, that's something you would put in your show, right? Like, of <laughs> course. And like, I had never even thought about the I was like, they did that in the 90s. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, not part of people's like consciousness. They did that of, in peacetime. Yeah, yeah. Like that wasn't like a part of life that there are people missing limbs with PTSD around. Yeah. Um at least not since Vietnam. Yeah, yeah. So or the first Gulf War. Yeah, that like I think just because I watched it so late and it, it did seem so modern to me that I didn't really realize how early it really was. Mm-hmm. And it really was ahead of its time. And I know that Ira didn't give them a check mark for LGBT issues, but I I was thinking the Trill episode that was done in TNG versus the Trill episode or the the Trill you know love across the 
the lifetimes the lifetimes episode um that deep space nine did it was so much more progressive i in so in tng the the plot is like uh beverly is in a romantic relationship with a trill and then he dies and then his symbiote has to go into Riker. And so then she starts having an like, affair with Riker, but then the trill goes into a woman and she's just like, nope. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's where I draw the line. Yeah. <laughs> and like, doesn't even consider it. It's not even on the table. And I'm just right. like, I remember watching that and being like, that seems so unrealistic. Like, I think that like, if, like if Chris's consciousness was, was moved into a woman's body, I would at least think about it. Like, <laughs> I wouldn't be like, nope, sorry. Like, That's love. Ew. Yeah. That's love, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. So, um, like, yeah, versus the, you know, the Deep Space Nine episode where, again, like, she, you know, it wasn't, like, maybe as well considered as we would have today, but it was still, like... It was a step forward, but I applauded the self-awareness that they demonstrated. Yeah, no, I definitely like that. But it's just, I think it just shows that, like, Deep Space Nine really kind of was ahead of its time in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just, yeah, looking back with modern eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess if I had like one criticism, I would think that, but this is a criticism I have for all of these types of documentaries is that I think that there was a little bit of like mythologizing happening where mm-hmm. like Ira would say stuff like, well, that's not what the, the uh, producers wanted or whatever, but that's what the show needed is serialization. Right. I'm like, yeah. you say that now because everybody does it. But at the time, like, I don't know if that's what you really believe. But then they, like, po- they poked that <laughs> by ending the movie with the Garrick quote about what was true. Yeah, you know, yeah, the lie is true, especially the lie. Well, let, let me let me offer uh, one one uh, addition to that is uh, the 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 narrative presented in the film echoes in many ways the narrative in the Star Trek Deep Space Nine companion, which was contemporaneously accounting f- for the the production of the show. So uh, a lot of what what uh, a, a lot there is a, an air of mythologizing to the extent that it's it it's very much a, a you know there's a self congratulatory air. However, uh, they at the time had a lot of the discussions that they now in this documentary talk about uh, retrospectively. Hmm. Oh, okay, that's good to know. Yeah, yeah, I've never- yeah. If you guys ever seriously, uh, that book is out of print now. The Deep Space Nine Companion. Uh, it is highly, highly, highly recommended. It is. It puts to shame any other Star Trek companion book that's ever been written. Excellent. That's yeah. Cool. We'll have to keep an eye out yeah. for it at half price books. Yeah, I'm, I've I've seen crazier things float across the the table at, at our local half price bookstore, but I'll I'll probably just keep a more general eye out for it anyway. Well, as for me, um, as I've said before. I came to this show embarrassingly late because I was <laughs> the stupid kid who gave, you know, voice to a lot of the idiotic criticisms that they talk about in the documentary about. Oh, it's not Did you write run one of those things? They write <laughs> no, 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 no. It's not on a spaceship. A Taylor. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was the thing. Like, it never occurred to me that I wouldn't like the characters. I, I, I honestly don't know what kept me away from the show for so long. 
Well, it wasn't on a, it wasn't on a ship. I, yeah, I mean that that was probably part of it, but then you know, 2005 happens, and Star Trek effectively goes to sleep for several years, and uh, you start to hunger for more, and you naturally go to the things that you haven't seen because it's new to you, right? And uh, so it took a while, but eventually I discovered the greatness of this show. And I think one of the things that I most appreciated about the documentary, it got surprisingly emotional for me, not because there were necessarily experiences that I related to, but putting everything in the proper context for what the show was as it was coming out uh, really did help solidify in my mind why I think I at least think that Star Trek Deep Space Nine is the best show in the franchise. It is not my favorite show, but I do believe that it is the best one. Armin Shimmerman, he's like, sorry, ours was better. <laughs> and I had to laugh a little bit at that because I don't think that he's wrong. Um, but particularly the the prescient elements that were on display, like the tent cities uh, in the in the Gabriel Bell episodes. And I also appreciated the the context that was given to the significance of the the diversity on the show because since this is the Star Trek universe uh th- when when you're a human being you're just a human being like they don't it's not like they until Cisco directly mentioned like why he didn't want to go into the holodeck for a fantasized version of the 1960s they don't really mention the differences that were uh, that were plaguing, uh, brought that, that that brought up racism in society. You know, they just were people. And hearing Avery Brooks, even though it was archival footage, um, it was, it's too bad that he didn't shoot new new interview footage. But I had never seen the clip where he talked about being human and brown, and particularly also hearing Sirik Lofton talk about that. And also, they called out the CNN nineties documentary, right? Because, <laughs> you know, they mentioned, and you know, that looking past star Trek's contributions to nineties TV in general is just idiotic in my mind, but calling out specifically that they never mentioned exactly what Sirik Lofton was talking about and what Ira Bear was talking about just kind of made me go, yes, that's exactly right. Because I remember thinking, very similarly along those lines when I was watching that series. I, you, I can I can vouch for Chris that he did mention it while he was watching that. Yeah. It was like they All right. mentioned well. Star Trek and then they did like a whole segment on of like black TV shows and you I remember you mentioning it like what about Deep Space Nine? Yeah. Like <laughs> I mean just because uh, and granted it it's not like the the show's material itself dealt with race but there was representation that the show was not getting credit for which just drove me nuts so having that context kind of explained to me more explicitly in the documentary was very powerful and it just goes to show how special that show is and then you get into to the to the broader issues surrounding terrorism and how Kira was rather unrepentant whenever she was con- confronted with something that she did as a part of the resistance to the Cardassian occupation and yeah they probably couldn't have gotten away with that kind of stuff 
uh, if the show was made even just a few years later. So, oh, I'm sorry. Did you say something, Cicero? No, no, I just agreed with you. Oh, okay. Well, the church said amen. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I mean, all of those things were so potent. And Rachel already talked about Nog's PTSD. I mean, the Dominion War created a, a series of really potent stories. And Rachel mentioned TNG having an element of camp to it. And I can't disagree with that when you look at the content and the tone of the episodes that dealt with the war. And even with, um, you know, the what constitutes religious extremism and terrorism, because DS9 was dealing with that. I'm sure that it was inspired by things that were still actively happening uh, in the Middle East at the time, but we're obviously much more hyper aware of those things now. And the idea of a fundamentalist Bajoran blowing up a school because they disagree with the lessons being taught there. That seems ahead of its time to me. Uh, what what well, do you yeah, think and, about that? Yeah, so I I want to I want to comment on on two things. The the, the first is, um, yeah, it was unfortunate that uh, we didn't get any new footage um, from from Avery Brooks. But I love the fact that every time he referred to himself, he referred to himself as a brown person. Mm-hmm. Uh, and w- when he did that, it made me think of you, Zachy, um, <laughs> because because you referred to. As we talked about Deep, Deep Space Nine, the fact that you referred to him as a brown person, and maybe it was because in Captains he also referred to himself as a brown person or something like that. I don't yeah, know if the correlation was, was there. Or, uh, th- that's a thing that I, I read an interview with him where he referred to himself as brown, and I found that so incredibly profound at a very early age that I adopted that into my own vernacular uh, when discussing myself and, and, you know, I, uh, and I think it, it betrays an awareness that's, uh, you know, he, he's, he's like a celestial being, Avery Brooks. <laughs> <laughs> a celestial you jazz know, musician, maybe. Really, you know, cause, and, and, and to me, the, the, the level of profundity that he displayed, uh, in interviews and things really like, it's like he, this is a guy who was marching to his own beat and it just took it took a while for people to catch up. Yeah, and and you know, and that's that's the thing about uh, Avery Brooks, and we we kind of talked about you know pre-show, uh, and and I, I don't know if I'm stepping on toes, Chris, I might be, but but uh, Avery Brooks is an actor. They talked, uh, you know, pretty. They brought. Um, they spotlighted the fact that he had previously been right before uh, this show, right before DS9, he had been on the show, uh, his own show called Hawk, which was a uh, spinoff from a show that he was on called Spencer for Hire, where he, he was the sidekick to, to the white guy. Uh, And, but his, his presence was so, um, I don't want to say imposing, but it, but it, 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 it always made people take notice. Um, huh. And there was, there's just something I've always really loved Avery Brooks. Um, you know, watching Spencer for Hire, I was, it was always exciting for me to watch television and to see a positive black person on the TV screen. Uh, so, so that, you know, so if that was happening, that was something that, that I was paying attention to. So Spencer for Hire came out, Hawk was there, Hawk was that guy. He had his own show. I paid attention to that. In fact, I named my cats. I when I got new cats, I named them Spencer and Hawk. <laughs> uh, <laughs> nice. But uh, you know, they you know, so it was it was important to me to have him on on the screen. But 
over the course of his career, there was there was one thing that that remained constant. His presence on screen, whether it be in DS9 or whether it be in one of my favorite films of all time, the very terrible The Big Hit, um, he is. He's in that. Oh my god, I forgot about that. He is so regal and majestic. Even in the, I mean, that movie is the silliest movie of all time. Um, it has, it makes no sense, but his presence is so great uh, during that film that it just, it like, it brings it all together. And and to uh, hear him speak is, was was a great thing. So so that was the one thing. the 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 other thing was that even during those times, even in the nineties. People weren't people weren't necessarily thinking about Middle Eastern terrorism in the nineties. Right when people thought about well, they they thought about terrorism. That per, terrorism came from two places. It came from the PLO, the Palestinian Liberation Organization. Um, you, you know who are who are fighting against the Israelis uh, for for land in Palestine. Um, but all but the more pressing. Uh, group, the group that seemed closer to home, especially here domestically, was the IRA, the Irish Republican Army, mm-hmm. and they were so you know the 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 PLO was was attacking Israelis, and you know as a New Yorker, they, you know there everyone has family in Israel because um, you know in New York is a high high Jewish population, but but the IRA hit places in. In you know Ireland and Scotland and in England, and you know so that touched America very very specifically, um, and and you know and made them a threat, uh, you know not necessarily domestically, but when you thought about terrorism, at, at least in the eighties and you know the 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 plane that was shot down over Lockerbie, Scotland, a lot of people th- thought was the IRA. Um, th- those like the IRA terrorism then wasn't wasn't this racial dog whistle that it is today. It's you know it really kind of brought to mind these these guys specifically. Uh, so like, but but they were a they were a real enough threat, but they were um, benign enough at least domestically that you could talk about. Um, one of your protagonists being a terrorist, being a freedom fighter, and and not have it be a thing that that immediately meant that that person couldn't be a a uh, uh, a, a morally true or 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 you know like chaotic good uh, to borrow a D and D phrase. Well, when when I was a kid, like in the late nineties or so mid to late nineties, when, when I thought of terrorists, the first person I thought of back then was Gary Oldman because yeah. my parents made the mistake of taking me to see air force one in the theater. Sure. Uh, <laughs> sure. And, and that was in the nineties. So, but no, I mean, that's, that's a really good point. I mean, the, 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 the larger public perception had not been, altered by what would happen at the turn of the century. Right. And, um, but I mean, it just goes back to show how, how ahead of its time deep space nine really was in, in dealing with these issues that would become front and center in the global discourse in the next decade. And I mean, that's one of the things that I just am continually fascinated by that the show it didn't seek to to comment 
on things that were happening in the world. It was trying to talk about things that could potentially be universal to the human condition. And now it's far more relevant than it ever was while it was on the air. And I that's mean, it amazing. had a whole episode about like, what are you willing to do if it's immoral to be like safe? Yeah. Right. <laughs> And like that is like I can live with it. Yeah, but that <laughs> that was in the nineties. Yeah, before that became like a fundamental like question of the the next decade of like, well, what sort of morally dubious things are you willing to do to be safe? Do you want values and, or do you want stability? Yeah, and you know, the U.S. chose stability. We have no values anymore. <laughs> 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 like, I guess. It was prescient in that way too. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. But I mean, it, it just, and I think that the documentary does a really good job of making the case for why Deep Space Nine ends up not just being special in, in terms of the scope of the Star Trek franchise itself, but in the stories that it was telling far before these stories would become even more relevant. But um, yeah, pretty, pretty astonishing. Uh, another thing that I certainly wanted to ask you guys about is we got a pretty unique opportunity to look at what could or might be with uh, the breaking in a writer's room of a season eight premiere. And uh, Zachy, what, what, how did that strike you? The story that they thought that they, you know, that, that they were basically trying to uh, create in a way that they could shoot it if they wanted to. Uh, 20 years hence, picking things up with pretty much every character. Uh, what did you think of that story? I mean, it was really compelling and it was just fun to watch uh, the people who made the thing essentially create their own fanfic. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and yeah, I mean, it, the, the only downside is that it ends uh, with to be continued right. And it never will be. I mean, it's it's just it's a uh, uh, it's all build up and no payoff, unfortunately. But I I think that the fact that twenty years later they're still so engaged, they're still so. I mean, I have such respect for all these people, you know. And it and uh, again, this goes to a little bit from from having just devoured that companion book. You really you get a sense throughout there just how much these people adored this show that they were working well, on. Well, I'm glad that you said that. Because Rachel and I were talking about this on the drive home last night from watching this movie. And we were talking about, you know, breaking the story. I mean, I legitimately teared up in a couple of places. Hmm. And, um, and then we, you know, we sort of got to talking about uh, not just stuff that had been laid out in the movie, but also the current state of the Star Trek franchise. Sure. We have an infrastructure right now that conceivably is very hungry for new material in this franchise. Why couldn't this happen exactly? If there was enough will on the side of CBS All Access and enough money put aside to reconstruct the relevant sets and to bring everybody into the fold, why couldn't this happen? Rachel said that she just doesn't think that it could ever happen. It should, that the you, what, what did you say? You didn't think the actors think could be? Can, I don't think you can convince the actors. I don't think you could convince the writers to actually write a whole season. Really? Yeah, because they were doing that for fun. I think if you're like, yeah, you gotta 
do 10 episodes. Right. Like, <laughs> they even said so, you know? Yeah, they, and they talked about how, the actors talked about how hard it was shooting it, the makeup, all of it. It was hard work. I don't know if they want to do it again. Some of them probably would. I, if they... But, well, I mean, makeup technology has certainly advanced a lot in 20 years. Discovery is proof of that. Yeah. Well, to put them all in like full face. Right. I mean, here's that they can't act through. Here's my so. sticky. Well, but that's it. Like we, we watch, they, there's a pretty cool <laughs> featurette on the Discovery season one Blu-ray about how the, the new kind of, I, I guess it was a kind of latex or rubber that they put on for the, for the Klingon makeup can actually move with an actor's performance. I don't know how much more comfortable it might be, but it's certainly there. But that's the thing. Like that's my sticking point, I guess, is that there's we're potentially on the cusp of another CBS Paramount merger. They say that they want to expand the franchise potentially into directions that it has never gone into before and make it more ubiquitous than it's been over the last several years. If the, the, this if, if there's packed theaters all across the country, and obviously I don't know that, but if there were for this documentary for this show, there's certainly a lot of goodwill out there for Deep Space Nine. It's it, I mean Alexander Siddig even said it just took them 20 years to get here in liking the show. Yeah, but maybe we don't have to revive and reboot everything from the 90s. Yeah, I you know I'm I'm reminded of uh, the in the what the what does the vision say in Age of Ultron? The thing isn't beautiful because it lasts. Uh, I think I think Deep Space Nine is this beautiful little thing that now exists under glass. Um, I I don't I don't know that I want them to to disturb that. Hmm. Um, I, I there's something to the fact that the final shot that we ever got of that station was as it just receded into the distance. And we just heard the mournful tones of that music for the last time. Uh, I think there's meaning in that there's value in that. Um, do you think that that's kind of where I'm at? Do you think that meaning would be undercut if, even if there was a limited expansion of the material? I mean, I, 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 fully expect that if these people were involved it would be something impressive however i mean time moves in one direction and we're 20 years past uh the last time these people embody their characters and you know i mean it's you know it, do, do we want to see uh do, do we want to see people struggling you know do we want to see Rene aubergeonois trying to struggle through wearing that makeup to you know I, I mean you know it's like to me it's like well there there may have been a window but i feel like Again, it's twenty years. I mean, I think I think but, that, but that Zachy, window may have closed. Zachy, yeah, it's not linear. I mean, one thing I will say is is Avery Brooks, our celestial being, does not look like he's aged at all. So yes, there is that. Well, and that's the thing. It could be twenty years. <laughs> could be. I I feel like he would be the hardest one to convince. Honestly. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, um, yeah. Because he just, like you said, he marches to the beat of his own drum, and uh, he, I, I, as much as I really would hope to see Cisco again and to fulfill that promise that he made to Cassidy in the very last episode, I mean, it, I'm not, look, I'm, I don't have any delusions about the fact that this is probably like 99 percent not going to happen, but if it were going to. 
I think this is the climate in which it could, if that makes sense. I agree with that. I agree. And 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 look, I mean, I think Ira Bear knows what he's doing. I mean, I think he put that out see. there as as even even if it's not at the forefront of his thinking, it's gotta be there, a little piece of him that's like, hey, let's uh let's put this out there and see what CBS says. I I can't imagine he that hasn't occurred to him. Hey guys, hey guys. Yeah. Star Trek Deep Space Nine, the animated series. <laughs> ah, yeah, I can. I it. certainly wouldn't be against yeah. pretty much any. Experience. Yeah, so I, when, when you put when you pose the question, Chris, my my immediate knee jerk reaction was the same as as Rachel and, and Zachy's, which is like, while in my head. That is something that I want. I don't know if my eyes can stand it, and nor do I think that there would be enough engagement from the people that we'd want in order to make it a thing that we um, can 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 absorb uh, in a real mm-hmm. way. Because um, because again, as as they said in in the uh, in the doc, you know, fourteen hour days on the low end. Usually, sixteen to eighteen hour days were, you know, were what they were dealing with, and and again, this was, you know, this was twenty years ago for these guys. Everybody in on that show, everyone associated with the show, especially the talent, is twenty years older than they than they were then, and they're not mm-hmm. going to be able to do the types of things for the length of time that they were. Uh, that they had to do them then. Um, but, oh, I don't. I don't disagree yeah. with that. I, I really, I really don't. But, the thing that is weird mm-hmm. is that in in my mind, it seems more plausible that they would bring Deep Space Nine back for an eighth season more so than it is that they would remaster the show. Oh yes, 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 yes. Definitely. Which is ludicrous, to definitely. Me. But for some reason, it just feels more plausible that they would actually create new material as opposed to. But I mean, oh man, that let's talk about that first. Yeah. Second. Oh, and and while we're talking about that, I, I just want to ask: in your theater, guys, was did did the cut seem weird? Like, were words cut at the off at the bottom of the of the screen? There were well, sometimes during scene transitions, there were like these little orange cubes that would show up that looked like an artifact of the stream. Hmm. Yeah, mine. Yeah, I think this is the format. Maybe it was just the screen that that we were on. Uh, the formatting was was bad. Where there was, you know, probably one one like twentieth of the screen was cut off at the mm-hmm. bottom. So like I was missing the bottom uh, bottom halves of of words sometimes, and there was a little bit uh, that was missing. But but outside of how many people were in your theater? I don't uh, think I heard you. Speak. Yeah, mine was probably about a third to forty percent full. Um, That's it bad. wasn't bad. It was it was definitely more than I expected to be in that theater. And and you know, and I live in in um, euphemistically, I'll call this place the suburbs of Chicago. So. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, there are no sidewalks here, so I call this, but um, <laughs> but they call it the suburb. So uh, you know, I I will say that uh, this area was probably you know not necessarily. Well, I'm I'm definitely grateful that it was in the area. I don't know if it was necessarily one of the key markets 
um, that they were looking to have a theater be, be full in. So I was, I was surprised at the number of people in this area that were there. Sure. Well, I'm glad that, yeah, I'm glad that a bunch of people showed up for it. Uh, well, considering what we know about the remastering process that was in play for the next generation, where they effectively scanned all the, all the footage they, they could get their hands on and reassembled every episode from the individual elements and re-edited everything together, effectively remaking the show. Uh, it's not just plugging in finished episodes. They had to go through the, the, a rather painstaking process. Uh, it's, it just doesn't seem like they're willing to do that for deep space nine, but my God, this footage that we saw that they did take the time and effort to scan in at high definition resolutions. Zachy, what did you think of, of seeing deep space nine in this kind of clarity that we never had before? Oh, it's, it's beautiful. You know, I mean, it's, it's a shame. I, I was having that thought as I was watching, I was like, well, enjoy this. Cause it's all you're going to get, yeah, you know? Right. Uh, but it, it just goes to what we said earlier and what this whole documentary is built on. It's like CBS slash Paramount. I mean, they never truly valued this show. So it's not, it stands to reason. I mean, when you think about it, it like, I mean, I get it, obviously it, it's, a, it's going to be a significant expense. Plus uh, next generation Blu-rays didn't move to the to in to the volume that would justify doing it for like the lesser shows. I get it, but it you know you wonder like Star Trek is an annuity, right? It's always like it's it's going to be it has the benefit of unlike many other brands or franchises where there's always going to be value because of the word Star and Trek next to each other in the title, so. It's one of those things where you're like, well, if you guys would spend the money on it, you'll pay, you'll earn the dividends on it for decades to come. Mm -hmm. But you know, nobody in the in the in the the food chain is going to make that kind of decision because those dividends are not going to come in on their watch. They'll come in potentially long after they've left the company. You know, so it's just it's one of these situations we're just stuck with, like the show, and it looks like fine for what it is, but it could look so much better. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Rachel, what did you think of seeing those scenes of Deep Space Nine in that level of clarity? I think it looked real good. I don't know. Like, I didn't know. I'm not the kind of person who notices these things. You didn't notice that? I looked at it and I was like, looks good. While I'm watching it normally, I'm usually like, this doesn't look very good in the back of my head all the time. Oh, good lord. So, like, it just looked normal. But it looked extra good. Yeah. I like the battle sequence that looked fantastic. Yeah, they did a really nice job. Yeah. And and that's I did notice that one. That's it. Well, that's also one of the things that would make remastering Deep Space Nine more difficult because by that point later in the series, when they had transitioned away from doing model shots and into uh for what the time what at the time was pretty decent CG sequences all that those aren't things that can be upscaled in a traditional way they would have to redo those visual effects shots so particularly by the end of deep space nine's run it would be far more expensive to remaster deep space nine by actually doing those vfx shots again and uh it just makes me sad thinking about it <laughs> basically because i mean if, if any show deserves that kind of a look but uh, 
I think, Zachy, I think you're absolutely right in the sense that when they do the remasterings of the shows, they're not just doing them for physical media releases. I mean, this is the way that modern television networks operate and streaming services operate. How many people would sign up for CBS All Access if they put out a news release, release saying, see DS9 and HD here first? Yep. You know? I wonder. Uh, yeah, I think that's a chicken and an egg proposition. I think it would have to be uh, – we would have to see the uh, the preponderance of or, – or the the results of all of the Star Trek shows that, they, that they're deciding to push out, um, increase the viewership and the membership of, of Star Trek – I mean, CBS All Access uh, before mm-hmm. they would – before they would go through the – uh, the expense of of remastering DS nine, and I don't. Think, I yeah, I don't think it would happen first. I think it would happen after. As a yes, yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's more plausible for a season eight than remastering the show that already exists. But hey. be careful what you wish for, Chris. The the X Files seasons that they made <laughs> recently those were bad. Yeah. You did. <laughs> Friends looked okay. It was a much simpler show. The Blu-rays what? for Friends. You got the Blu-rays for Friends. No, that wasn't a continual. No, I'm talking about continuation. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. Also, I don't want uh, more Friends. No, <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't need any more. I've got enough. I've got enough Friends. <laughs> but Julian episodes that they made is plenty. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, let's uh, let's wind this down a little bit. Um, I guess just kind of final thoughts on the movie where. Uh, it, it, it did it move the needle at all in your appreciation of Deep Space Nine? Cicero, start us off. Um, I, I want to say a couple of things. Um, the, the first is there. There's one portion of this of this um documentary that they didn't gloss over. I mean, they you know they leaned uh, headfirst into it, and but but I you know it it can't be understated, and that is. The presence of people that look like me, that sounded like me, um, the fact that the the only uh, familial uh, relationship in Star Trek history that really, really existed uh, was on DS9 between a black dad and his black son, um, and and that or or. Or as Avery Brooks would say, and and more appropriately should say, a brown a brown oh. dad and his brown son, um, and the fact that there were so many brown people on there that that his you know and obviously in the nineties you weren't going to have uh, a a you know widowed widowed black man um, who who then winds up falling in love with some white woman. So of course his next love interest was going to be brown as well. But you saw a a a nuclear family uh in 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 space. Uh, and that that can't be, you know, and then you know you saw his dad and you know, like the, you saw all of those things. All of those things were there and and uh that just can't be understated uh, and and you know and the impact that it had on me and I'm sure lots of people that looked like me uh can't can't be understated and and you know if if for no other reason uh this show means a lot to me but on top of that it was excellent it was excellent in a way 
uh, that the the other shows weren't bold enough to be. Um, and, and, you know, in a lot of ways, uh, if, if I can, if I can kind of encapsulate what DS9 was to me, it was hip hop. DS9 is hip hop. DS9 went out and said, oh, hey, we see what you guys are doing over here, but we're going to do that thing, but we're going to do it a little bit different. And people said, but no, you can't do that. And they said, no, you know what? That's all right. We're still going to do it that way. Check this out. Oh, but wait a minute. You can't do this thing. You can't talk about those things. But you know what? That's our reality. That's the reality of the people that are, you know, that are watching our show. So that's what we're going to talk about. And that's, you know, we're going to bring those issues to light. Oh, but wait a minute. You know, the two women can't kiss on the, what do you mean? Two women kiss in real life. What are you talking about? We're going to do that. That's what we're going to do. And, you know, and that's hip hop. That's you know goes out there and it and it punches society and it, it, it punches like the societal norms in the mouth and it says you know look pay attention to me all of this nice stuff that you guys are talking about over there that's not the reality that's not the reality of of the world that we live in so now you're gonna hear about our world and how we do things and what's going on and you're gonna pay attention and and they did a phenomenal de- job doing that. Um, you know, DS9 is hip hop. Very well said. And uh, I, there's something else that I wanted to, to bring up that uh, you just kind of reminded me of when they talk about Avery Brooks's hair. Yes. Yes. And how yeah. they were afraid yeah. to let him wear what what was familiar to him and to other people who knew his work. The The. I don't even know if you could call it subtle racism that's inherent in something like that. I certainly didn't see Cisco's look later on when he was more familiar as threatening at all. I mean, Cisco, I think, I think a lot of that is done in wardrobe, right? I mean, Hawk's wardrobe is very different from, from captain Cisco's wardrobe from what it looks like. And Hawk just kind of had a more threatening countenance because that's who that was. But the, the, the thing, the thing about that is, that the bald head on a black man uh, is is a choice you know um and it's 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 a it's a choice that that is is can be perceived as aggressive has been perceived as aggressive has been perceived as uh you know and and there was there still i think there is nothing worse than an aggressive black man not even an angry black man, because an angry black man can be controlled. An angry black man can be put down. But an aggressive one um, is dangerous because you're not exactly sure what he's going to do. And that that scares you more than someone who is out of control um, because you don't know if you have justification for putting down an aggressive black man. You know you have justification for putting down an angry one. Uh, and that was that was part of it. it. You know, I mean, it's just like my choices about what I want to do with with my hairstyle, what makes me feel comfortable. Uh, and you telling me no was just another way to geld uh, a, a black man on television to conform to these norms uh, in order to make it palatable for the quote unquote masses. Mm. And he won out. Yeah. Eventually, and, and was and was proven right. Yeah, absolutely. 
Zachy, final thoughts on what this uh, this movie, how it uh, how it encapsulates Deep Space Nine for you, if it encapsulates Deep Space Nine for you, and if it, uh, I mean, you already appreciate the show so much. Does it move the needle at all for you in that respect? I mean, it makes me excited to resume my rewatch. You know, you I go. think it it touches on it touch <clears throat> excuse me it touches on the surface, and <clears throat> I don't know how it's going to play to people who uh, are inclined to dislike the show. I'm genuinely curious. Uh, but for those who already like it, it's an affirmation. And, you know, I, I, I mentioned at the outset that, you know, my brother has just started uh, watching the show really for the first time, you know, since it first came on. And so he, he keeps me posted. He'll be like, oh, I'm about to watch this one. And so he was about to watch Duet. And I was like, I was like, uh, buckle up because you're about to watch one of the greatest Star Trek episodes ever made. And he's like, Oh, you sure you want to say that? You know, like get my expectations up. I was like, no, you're about to watch one of the best Star Treks ever made. And then he watches it and he, he calls me. He's like, Whoa. <laughs> right. And, and that's, I think, I think deep space nine created a space space for, sorry, no pun intended, a space for itself. That was, uh, uniquely suited to those types of stories that were uh that were not just about exploring uh, you know the, the the final frontier they were really about exploring the the darker and and kind of more uncomfortable parts of ourselves and i love that this franchise i mean one thing i've said to you guys so much whenever we have these conversations is like star trek is 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 like ice cream everybody can have their flavor well, it's like I love that this is a flavor that not everybody's going to dig, but the people who dig it, they really dig it. Very well said. Excellent. Rachel, what is this? what do you think of this movie overall? Does it move the needle for you in appreciating a show that you already appreciate a lot? I wouldn't say it moved the needle, but it did make me want to revisit it. Okay. So I would say you should watch it. If you like Deep Space Nine, because it'll remind you of why you liked something that you liked, which is a really nice, warm, fuzzy feeling inside. Mm -hmm. And if you haven't seen Deep Space Nine, I think it gives you a good flavor of what the show was about and would probably make you appreciate it more when you do watch it. Mm -hmm. So, All right. As for me, uh, I think the thing that I'm glad to have absorbed after watching this movie is just uh, getting greater context for what the show meant in its own time. Obviously it was underappreciated in its own time, but uh, seeing and listening to sort of those direct reactions and what it was doing by disrupting things in its own time does give me a greater appreciation for it that I did not have a couple of days ago. And I consider myself someone who appreciates Deep Space Nine quite a lot. So I give this movie a very hearty recommendation. I think we all do to varying degrees and uh, can't wait to see what this leads to, if anything. I mean, maybe this will lead to nothing, but if two theaters were pretty much full between the the, the four of us, uh, so three of us observe very full theaters, um, who knows what it could lead to, at least as far as the appreciation of Deep Space Nine is concerned. Hope. There are always possibilities. <laughs> I don't think that there's anything more I can say after that. That's uh, <laughs> that's very well said. Well, 
All right, everybody, that's going to do it for episode number 42 of Discovery Debrief. We hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please like and follow us on our social media channels. And if you'd be so kind, we'd also appreciate it if you were to review for the show on iTunes or Facebook. It only takes a minute and we'll be happy to read your review on the air when it's posted. If you have any questions, you can follow the show on Twitter at DSC Debrief, where you can also find all of our individual Twitter handles. And feel free to send us questions through Twitter our Facebook like page, or by emailing us directly at hailingfrequencies at discoverydebrief.com. Please be sure to set your courses for this feed for future episodes, and be sure to join us as we convene next time, I think to talk about Avengers Endgame, but um, Heck yeah. it could be anything <laughs> considering what we can get to. So as long as you continue to enjoy listening to the show, then we're going to continue to enjoy making it. But as always, until we meet again, please. Go boldly, my friends. Mm-hmm.